Hey, welcome to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast, where we are demystifying the complex world of cybersecurity. As always, it's your co-host, the cybersecurity attorney. I go by Brian. And uh, I'm Ryan, cybersecurity architect. We're living in a world where more and more of our daily lives are operated behind this computing world that is opaque both by necessity and by design. It's a complex thing dealing with the entire world via an electronic connection. And one of the more interesting things that has arisen out of the internet is dealing on a regular basis with this concept of anonymity. Now, the funny thing about anonymity in the internet is that the reality is that search tools and the tracking methods and everything are available these days make it harder to simply disappear into the mist. There's very few opportunities for you to just vanish and start your life anew, given how much of you is permanently stored online. That means that in order to stay anonymous for really any purpose, these days. There's no such thing as anonymity by accident anymore. If you're anonymous in any of your interactions, it's anonymity by design. You're doing this intentionally. The reality is there's no true black and white, crystal clear, good guys versus bad guys, Jedi versus Sith, anyone against the Yankees concept of good versus evil. This is the real world. This is a real world that has black and white operating 1% on either periphery and 98% of life happens in the gray area. There are good uses for anonymity. There are bad uses for anonymity. And I think it's kind of important to understand that from the start. So Ryan, walk us through here a little bit. First, what we're talking about when we talk about anonymity with regards to cybersecurity and how criminals stay anonymous online. Sure. Well, obviously, when you want to venture into the world of criminal activity, having your identity attached to that activity is not a good thing. It's not going to end up with a good result for you. So achieving some level of anonymity, whether it's full anonymity or at least some sort of, you know, obfuscation of your actions or your identity along the path of that criminal activity goes a long way to keeping you safe uh, and allowing you to perform that activity with a lot lower risk. So going through and trying to figure out ways to reduce your presence, your footprint as you're moving around involves things like looking at your local device that you're using, looking at the connection that you're using and who has visibility to all of your pieces along the way. Obviously, you're sending network traffic back and forth across different computers, different networks uh, across the internet. And all of that traffic is visible from hop to hop, but you get some level of control over who's going to be the hop that really kind of sees where things are going. Yeah, there's a lot of steps that both average users can use to uh, achieve certain levels of anonymity that are very common, very regular, like VPN use, uh, basic proxy use, all the way up to uh, things that are a little bit more common amongst cyber criminals, things like throwaway environments, things like uh, using hijacked machines, using bulletproof hosting, which is some of the kind of less reputable hosting providers to run things like your command and control environment, phishing efforts, or those kind of other malicious activities. And they allow you to do so without having to really report a ton of information, which again is very helpful in the case that someone wants to backtrack this activity and start to kind of attribute it. So let's start with where I think most people would be curious about anonymity on the internet. What are its a very basic explanation for why a criminal would want to be anonymous. But I think to fully understand the steps anyone take, you not only have to you know, go back and understand the motive for why they take it, but what it means to take that step. Now, anonymity can be anything from, you know, writing you know, a letter to an editor to a newspaper listing yourself as unnamed, or back in the day where the Twitter profile picture blank and had an egg and sign up with a throwaway email address that didn't have your real name attached. When we're talking about anonymity, 
anonymity on the internet, especially when it comes to cyber criminals, what does it actually mean for them to be anonymous? Sure. Well, true anonymity is really an art form on the internet nowadays to get to that level because of how much tracking of data and information there is. So again, you're talking about starting everything from your machine. Your machine offers up hardware address for the network devices that it uses to build the connections out to the internet. So being able to do simple things like mask that hardware address can help from attributing it back to your physical machine. Stuff like coming out of your location, you're going to have your internet connection going through your basic internet service provider. That connection right there, every time you try to get to a new address somewhere on the internet that's not direct transit, IP to IP, you're looking at sending a DNS request over. They're going to be the first stop that receives most of those DNS requests unless you're manually moving those requests somewhere else. So they get a certain level of visibility over where your traffic goes. You can do stuff like move that to a VPN, which again is really, it just shifts it downstream. It shifts all of that traffic so that now what your ISP sees is all of your traffic going to one single point to a VPN provider afterwards. Now the VPN provider could in theory then have logs and do the exact same thing that everyone is concerned about the ISPs doing, watching where the traffic it goes because again from there it just branches out you're just moving the branching out one step further down the chain so it comes down to a level of trust over the provider and again one extra hop means that in order to backtrack and attribute that traffic backwards it's one more place they now have to go back to the vpn provider track it back from there to a specific user account back to the isp and then back to another user account the location that was served during that time so every extra hop adds a little bit more to uncovering the forensics trail and then going on from there again every connection you make to every service you're logging your IP, whether that's coming off of a VPN provider, your ISP. If you're going to do web traffic, you can look at using things like the Tor network, which again is a series of proxies, which just due to the extra hops that it puts in the way helps further anonymize some of that traffic, or at least obfuscate it to a point where it becomes really difficult to de-anonymize. Making sure that you're not logging into anything on the machine that might be sending out telemetry coming from the same addresses. You know, it sure would be a tough thing for a cyber criminal to go to all these lengths to use different connections and all that and then have like a Google updater running in the background that's sending you know your device information to Google and now they can correlate those two paths running in line with one another and you can make all those steps and, and fail over something simple. One of the funny things I think about anonymity on the internet is realizing you can use all the protections you want you can mask and blind and do everything you want and then accidentally logging into your Flickr account through that masked blind connection will for at least uh, certain uses render that anonymity completely worthless. And again as we talked about in previous episodes too there can be a lot of a certain level of overconfidence that comes with being a malicious hacker, especially with a you know significant amount of experience under your belt. Once you've gotten accustomed to quote unquote traveling anonymously throughout the internet, covering your tracks, getting away with quite a few things, after a while you start to get complacent. And I think even with the best of criminals out there, you'll find nowadays that just like with cybersecurity and just like with personal internet hygiene, you have to continuously up your game every single day. It's a matter of continuous education, continuous improvement over your habits and behaviors. Your posture on all the devices that you're connecting with. And that includes from their side also, because as quickly as they're developing new offensive security tools, there's new tools that are designed to tear those apart and attribute that activity back or defend against that activity that are coming out all the time. And so it is a continuous ladder climb on both sides of that fence to see who can get there quicker. And it tends Mm -hmm. to be a huge leapfrog effort over and over again. Yeah. So we've got this idea of what anonymity on the internet means. Finding ways to mask the source of your activity such that whomever you're interacting with is unable to immediately follow you back to where you are. Now, I remember back in the early days of Bitcoin when ransomware just exploded as the value of Bitcoin exploded because all of a sudden 
this trumpeted system of anonymous financial exchanges came up and made cybercrime so much more appealing because this idea that you could simply hide behind it. Now, I always wondered right from the start how anyone could think that anything that has an immutable or in human terms, unchangeable list of transactions kept online in millions of computers worldwide. The idea that someone somewhere wouldn't be able to parse that back and, you know, de-anonymize it was kind of uh, really wishful thinking. And that turned out largely to be true, as the U.S. Department of Justice can tell you with some of their recent acquisitions. It takes time, but you can de-anonymize things with enough resources, and especially when people are relying on things like blockchain to be anonymous. But walk us through what a cyber criminal is doing to a victim while keeping themselves anonymous. Give us some examples of how this would work in practical context. There's quite a few different things. The biggest ones right now would be a lot of the business compromises and business exploits that occur. That's where there's usually a large treasure chest to go after, more so than going after your average person who usually has limited resources and not a lot to offer. So a lot of these criminals will get to a point of directly contacting businesses, communicating with them, sometimes even over text and video chats, voice chats, VOIP. And in doing so, they want to make sure that that's not easily tracked back to them. Likewise, when you're going to do things like sending out large-scale phishing campaigns and other activities like that, spam-based activities, things, you want to make sure that you're anonymizing all of your connections to like your command and control points because eventually somebody will find their way back. You know, if you're hosting a site that's delivering malware, obviously at some point someone has to put that together. That means there's going to be a log of you connecting in there to build that up and to offer it out. And so at some point that's a beginning of a trail to head back to you. So making sure that you have obscured your trail as much as possible to that point will make it much more challenging to really attribute that activity back to you unless there's another trail somewhere else. Criminals use a variety of different technologies to get to this point, but they're very similar technologies that your average user can use. VPNs, web proxies, using uh, common open services, stuff to Proton mails and things that are outside of Vibeyes. Same with like Proton VPN, some of those that's, you know, against a very neutral set of services that's outside of the ability of governments to kind of actively, you know, pull in that information through subpoena, as would be the case in a lot of the U.S.-based services. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. For more information on keeping yourself, your family, and your company protected against cyber threats, check out the Resilience Cybersecurity and Data Privacy blog. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe using any of your favorite podcast platforms. Also, please share this podcast with anyone you think would find it helpful or useful. We rely on listeners like you to help get the word out about this show, and we appreciate the support. Now, time for some more cybersecurity. There are, as we've talked about before, positive and negative use cases for all sorts of anonymous activities on the internet. The exact same anonymous Twitter account can be used to help plan peaceful protests, to promote whistleblowers, to make sure that information that is being suppressed by governments, by industry, by anyone really can be made public. But that exact same Twitter account can be the source of anonymous swatting complaint. That same Twitter account can be used to harass marginalized people, can be used as a tool in some very evil things. I mean, we found out that Facebook was largely uh, responsible for the explosion in genocide in Myanmar. There are so many things that anonymous 
anonymous tools can do for both good and bad. What do we do when confronted with the concept of removing or reducing anonymity on the internet? That's really been kind of the core of a lot of conversations and it's very, very strong sides in this conversation. Uh, I've got the side of government and the side of law enforcement and the side of others that would really love to see nothing more than that anonymity broken entirely to see things like end-to-end encryption broken entirely so that all of the contents of the communications and everything could be a little bit more easily accessed and easily monitored. It would make a lot of their cases a lot easier to proceed with. Uh, It'd make certain evidence collection significantly less challenging. There can be a lot of potential huge benefits to them in seeing that done. And then, of course, on the other side of the fence, you've got the major privacy advocates, people like the Electronic Frontier Foundation and a lot of the major social media industries are kind of pretty heavily behind not so much anonymity, but more stuff like end-to-end encryption. They're more into privacy, I guess, than anonymity in particular. But anonymity comes with that as well. So again, you've got the press is really big on anonymity on the internet because it allows them access to information in areas where that would be otherwise suppressed. And only through that anonymity are they able to get that information out and therefore get the stories out to the world the way that they should be told. But again, as soon as you take the tool away from the bad actor, you take the tool away also from the people that are trying to get that information out and you really reduce your ability to have access to that. So it really is a double-edged sword and it's going to be really tough to break one side sufficiently without breaking both sides in this case. And I think that's why the conversation's been ongoing for as long as it has, why both sides are as steadfast to their points as they are because it is an important conversation and we need to determine is the internet going to be the thing that it was originally supposed to be the public internet where it was the World Wide web it was meant to be completely open no anonymity no major protections or are we looking for this more modern internet where we're doing business transactions and trading of secure data and do we need to put privacy anonymity security encryption and things at the forefront and really create that to be kind of the future of the web so as a whole we need to determine where we want the internet to go and that's where this conversation will continue to spin until we start making some of those kind of broader policy decisions over the internet as a whole. The discussion of anonymity and privacy on the internet is one that is fraught on all sides with slippery slopes, both, you know, one way or the other. Let's get back to a more basic question, I think. The anonymity of criminals on the internet is something that makes it really hard to attribute cyber attacks and to recover losses. The number of people that I've spoken to when asking about how they recover their losses, you're usually recovering losses from what is in effect another person or entity that was also a victim. Generally speaking, in a wire transfer fraud, one victim of the fraud is actually going to be suing someone else who is also a victim of the fraud, but who could have or should have prevented the fraud by doing something a little bit differently. It's almost never that you see them actually recovering from the criminal themselves. What steps can people take to make it so that even if they can't eliminate anonymity on the internet, the anonymity of a cyber criminal, that they make themselves less vulnerable to the crimes most likely to be perpetrated by criminals keeping their identities secret. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of really just general best practices and a lot of them start heavily away from the realm of technology. I mean, you need to do things like extra verification before you do large transfers of money that are non-standard, taking on odd requests. I've heard numerous times about the, I got a telegram message from our CEO that said, holy crap, you need to send this quarter million dollars ASAP to this odd account because the account we tried to send it to is not working for some reason. And somebody just goes blindly, oh, well, this is the CEO. I'm not losing my job. I better Mm -hmm. get this done right away. And they just punch in the numbers, hit the button, and there goes a quarter million dollars. Oh, yeah. 
You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. We're here to help make the complex language of cybersecurity understandable. So if there are topics or issues that you'd like Ryan and I to break down in an episode, send us an email at info at fearlessparanoia.com or reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn. For more information about today's episode, be sure to check out fearlessparanoia.com where you'll find a full transcript as well as links to helpful resources and any research and reports discussed during the episode. While you're there, check out our other posts and podcasts as well as additional helpful resources for learning about cybersecurity. Now back to the show. For listeners who don't really understand how often that happens and how easily it can happen, I'm telling you from experience, having dealt with it with a number of clients who as business entities are technically savvy and have an advanced security posture. This does happen. It can happen. And don't think that just because it hasn't happened to you, it can't. This is something that if you don't plan for, you are susceptible to. And it's getting worse. It's getting worse coming really soon too. So um, you need to get good policies, good procedures, good practices in place around critical activities and make sure that you have a validation plan for the instance where something does go wrong. If you have a major weird activity that's occurring in your business, there needs to be some sort of validation plan of how do you get a hold of somebody to validate that this is legitimate activity. Right now, the FBI just a couple days ago released a new report saying that deep fakes are starting to actually go into live practice now through cyber criminals. So they are going through and taking things like videos of a business's CFO or CEO or somebody and turning around and taking and framing messages using deepfake technology to put together videos of them and then sending these videos to people in their business requesting certain things. Again, if you get somebody reaching out from the executive level in your business that's reaching out in either an odd manner, a non-standard method of communication, or making a request that just seems odd, Make sure to report it because you know what, having to pause them for a couple minutes to get validation from somebody else in the company that the activity is legitimate is going to be way less painful to the business than trying to get back money that's been transferred to, you know, bank of whoever Mongolia overseas where we all of a sudden can't get the money back. It becomes a five second effort to really make the mistake and let that go and potentially never again that you can recover from it fully. And let me jump in. Any manager or business owner or whatever who ever, ever considers coming down hard on an employee that causes a delay in a payment by seeking verification, I'm going to say something that I don't usually want to say on a recording like this, but you can go straight to hell. I'll say it to you. Stop working for those people. You, Whoever you are, if you're taking the time to educate yourself and you're listening to this type of podcast and you take this stuff seriously, do yourself one step better and just get away from those type of environments because those are the environments where you're going to find yourself subject to these types of incidents frequently because bad practices and bad hygiene are the number one thing that gets everybody in trouble. And this right here is just got bad practice written all over it. Yeah, man, I tell you, it's one of those things you've got to make sure that your training and your education regimen is set up to both teach and empower and to acknowledge that mistakes can and do happen. And the last thing that you want to do is make people wary about following through with a best practice because it might, might cause some inconvenience. So right, let's wrap this up with some advice to everyone else in their individual lives. Obviously companies have their established practices and things to follow. What are some things that the average person can do to make sure that they've limited their susceptibility to being victimized by an anonymous online criminal? There's so many different things that you can do. The first ones are just 
protect yourself and protect your connections. Just making sure you know who's watching you and who's got access to your information and your data is critical. I like to use a VPN service pretty frequently for just about all of my normal internet activity. I like to use secure search engines as well, so I choose not to use Google.com anymore for my basic searches. I like to go to something like DuckDuckGo where it's a little less tracked a little less kind of aggregated and fed into the, the the big data monster. Dark mode and private browsing is not the panacea that most of those companies want you to believe that it is. No, it's really browsing history and cookie and cache control. And really all, that's all it is. So that'll protect you from the average person walking up and going through your browsing history on your computer and seeing what you were doing. Outside of that, it offers next to zero protection out there on the internet. Yeah, you're still especially being tracked by your ISP and any other sites you go to. And the other big things are just general best practices. Don't download weird software and install stuff. If there's anything that says it's free on the internet, learn the lesson. Nothing in life is free. It's not that simple out there. There's always something that comes tagged with it. Don't click on weird links, especially from people you don't know. And if it looks like it's coming from somebody you do know, and it seems like it's weird coming from them, probably a reason you're feeling that way too. So make sure you double- Yeah, give them a call. Double check everything. Validate everything. If you get a link from US Bank and it says, hey, there's there's something wrong with your account, don't click on the link to log into US Bank through the email you got. If the email seems sketchy, go log into US Bank directly. Punch mm -hmm. in your account info the way you would normally check and look in your notifications. If there's nothing in there, that was probably not from them in the first place. Look at your senders. Make sure you just kind of do basic things like inspect who it's coming from because I can put your name whoever you are listening to this on my outbound email and make my emails effectively look like they come from you. Now it's still going to come from my email address, but basic, basic things. Validate everything. While we're on the subject real quick, don't ever send or open anything that has a dot zip on the end of it. Google, you just, you really screwed that one up. I can't even... <laughs> It's a tough one in the cybersecurity industry. There's a lot of security focused people out there that are saying, oh, this isn't a big deal. Nobody should be hating on this as much. And then there's a lot of people that say this is kind of end of times. Regardless, it is already being used in phishing campaigns. Dot yeah. zips are. So anyone that says that they're totally just benign is, it's is dumb. It's dumb. It, it's why the Bond villain needs to employ uh, an average five-year-old to go over their plans. This is something anyone could have seen coming. Well, and because of it, it's relatively easy to defend against. So at least from blue team side, this isn't a massive challenge to overcome. If you think it's just safer to just block the .zip and .mov TLDs and the other bad ones like that, go ahead and do it. It's relatively trivial in a modern technology environment to do that. But at bare minimum, you should be watching all of your traffic anyways. You need to know where your users are going you need to know what's being accessed and like that that should just be part of your average regimen and noticing stuff like new tlds should be a part of your everyday activities and that's something that you should be scrutinizing and determining whether or not it's beneficial to your business and if it's not shut it down well that's about all the time we got here today i want to thank you all for joining us the concept of anonymity on the internet is very difficult and how criminals stay anonymous knowing how they do it and knowing why they do it is actually pretty important in helping you, whether in your individual life, in business, prevent any damage from coming up as a result. So make sure that you are taking all of these basic cybersecurity steps. If you want more information on some of the general steps to take to protect your privacy or to keep yourself safe online, you can go to our website, 
fearlessparanoia.com. There's also a whole bunch of information that you can find on those topics as well at resiliencecybersecurity.com. Thank you for joining us. If you found any of this particularly useful, you can subscribe on any of your favorite podcasting platforms or apps. Please share this podcast with anyone you believe might find it useful. You can do it by email. You can do it by social media. We've got plenty of links on our website to do that. I'm pretty sure I haven't missed anything, but you know, it's always helpful to check. Ryan, anything else that I needed to cover? No, I think you hit it all. And um... All right. Good deal. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> until next time, I'm Brian. And I'm Ryan. And he's laughing. <laughs> and we'll see you next time.